Texas tarries and the rapture don't happen and we wake up as Americans, we will celebrate 246 years of America and the freedom of being able to enjoy what it means to be born in this great nation. But never forget, we thank God for the Declaration of Independence, for the Constitution, for all those things we hear talked about so much that makes America what it is. But never forget when you wake up in the morning, it's not Americans, it's not our laws and our Constitution that has ensured these 246 years of what we have got to be blessed with, but it is because of the amazing grace of God. It is because of his long-suffering kindness toward us and his mercy to allow us to continue to live the life that we get to enjoy on this earth. You know, when you look at America, at world history, we've been some of the best of all nations, and we need to remember that, and certainly we need to celebrate that. But today, as we begin to, to look into God's Word, how many of you would be willing to admit that America is not what you think it used to be? And it certainly ain't going in the direction that I wish she was. Not does it make me not thankful to be an American and grateful for all the blessings that I have as a, an American. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm more glad that I am a Christian than an American. That my allegiance is to a king that is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and that my citizenship is a higher citizenship. It's not here, and as much as I love it here, as much as I'm glad to be here, I'm thankful that one day I'm not going to have to stay here for eternity. Amen? And we're going to the kingdom of God to live in a place called heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our hope. But today, thinking a little bit about America and in our lifetime, what we've experienced. In our lifetime, we have seen American society begin a drastic transition into an increasingly secular and unbiblical state of existence. It's happened quicker than I thought it could ever happen. It's gone further than I thought it would possibly go in my days. And especially in the last decade, the culture has increasingly become more and more secular and less and less biblical in its moral standards of what we say is right and wrong. And when you look today at the spiritual condition of our nation, it is no longer a society that exalts righteousness anymore. And the Bible says that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, even Americans. In fact, if we were to be honest this morning about America, we will celebrate this 4th of July. The America that we will celebrate is really no longer a Christian nation. And I don't say that in disrespect. I say that in broken, humble spirit. But as Christians, certainly we need to celebrate 246 years of the United States of America. And we should thank God for the Declaration of Independence that declares our rights to be free. And we should recognize men like the signers who put their life on the line, the men who fought in the revolution to make that declaration have the power to give us freedom. We should all remember that where we came from. And certainly we as Christians love our country and are proud to be Americans. But at the same time, 
We the church, someone must sound the spiritual alarm if we really love America. If you see your child heading in a direction that's going to bring them harm, you're going to go tell them, turn around. If you see your neighbor's house on fire, you're going to run over there and beat on the door and scream and holler, get out! You're in danger. If you believe the Bible, you cannot ignore the imminent danger of continuing on the moral path we as a nation are following. Deep down, we all want to speak up and say something on behalf of our faith and our Jesus and what we believe about our God. I know you do if you're saved. It's in your heart. You want to speak up. You want to say something. And you want to stand up for Jesus. We are Christians, though, are told today by the godless radicals, if you want to be known as a good American citizen, keep your biblical worldview to yourself and your big mouth, Christian mouth shut. And if you speak up for Jesus, they'll call you anything from a racist to a white supremacist to label you as a hate group when they can say anything they want to say, but they don't want to hear what we have to say. And I'm not talking about going and being legalistic and judgmental and condemning our fellow Americans, but I am talking about going in a spirit of love to speak the truth of God, to stand up for what God says is right, to tell them what God says He will bless and love them enough to show them what God says He will curse. And friends, the other day, I look at us as the church, we're like a deer in headlights. We are confused, we're frightened from the hatred and the disdain that is shown constantly towards our Christian values every day on media, in our entertainment, and in the world that we all are surrounded in to the point I fear that we have become shamed into silence. And not only are we shamed to not speak up and tell the people that Jesus died for you, that there's only one name given under heaven and under earth by which men must be saved, And that Jesus said, I am the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. But not only are we shamed, we're confused. We don't really know what to say anymore. And today I want to talk to you. I've prayed. and Not that my opinion means anything, but I would like to give you a suggestion. As the church, we are God's messengers. Amen? If we're not going to speak for God, who is? What message should we be proclaiming, brothers and sisters, to our fellow Americans? To your lost neighbor? To your lost co-worker who without Jesus is going to go to hell? To your your children? What, What should we be saying? I mean, I want you to think about this for me. What can we, the church, possibly have to say that can even effectively make a difference? And I believe that we've been so overwhelmed by the devil's big puff of wind that speaks through everything that we're surrounded with. Social media, entertainment, all of our heroes, even our sports and everybody that we used to be able to look up to have become woke and they speak against things that we know God says is not so. And we just sit here. But guys, I want you to think about this. What message does America need to hear from God's people? Because they desperately need to hear from God. The 
nation I love, the nation you love, the nation some of us have fought for and shed blood for, the nation we've given our life to, the nation where we were blessed to be born, to be able to say we are Americans, is in peril. And we need to understand that it's not the first time in history that the world has been crazy like it is. And so what is the message? You know, if you ask around, even in the church, there's people that will say, oh, well, we need to confront the immorality. I mean, it's gotten so far, and I don't have to tell you what all has went beyond what we ever imagined would happen as our nation has declared to be what God said is wrong is right, and what God said is right is wrong. And we need to talk about racism, and racism certainly is a problem. We need to understand about immigration and the laws, and we need to keep crime that that causes, and the violence and the shootings and all the things that are happening in our own backyard today, and the disunity, we're so divided. But what could we ever say to make a difference in those things? I'm going to tell you, there is the one thing that will cure every one of them. It is the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ heals, fixes, renews, and restores everybody. My friend, when you come to the cross, you're a new animal. You're a new creature when Jesus comes into your life. And what America needs is to hear the gospel. The thing we need to talk about the most is the thing I hear is talking about the least. We all got a political opinion. We all know what's wrong with Washington. We know what the Senate ought to do. We praise God for the Supreme Court. Yes, that was great. Thank God that we, she stood up for the sanctity of life. But guys, I'm telling you right now, you're wasting your time trying to convince a lost man who's dead in sin, who has a depraved nature in him to agree with what the Bible says is immorally right. To agree with what the Bible teaches is truth. I don't know about you, but I hated Jesus till I got saved. You say, you hated him? I would have never said it. I would have never thought it. But when I look back at how I lived and what I made important, yeah, Jesus was not where I think he should have been. And so today I want you to look with me in the book of Romans chapter 1. And I want to talk to us about the gospel this morning. The apostle Paul said this to the church in Rome. It's on your screen, but you need to turn there because we're going to look at more of it. He said, so as much as it's in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes it. For the Jew first and also for us, the Greek or the Gentile. And friends, I want you to understand something. When Paul wrote that letter, he wrote it to a church that he had never been to. If you look here above with me, look what he says in verse 8. He says, For I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You know, what does the rest of the world say about America today? Do you think the rest of the world is saying, Boy, they got some faith in Jesus in that country. <laughs> Man, that country loves the Bible. That country exemplifies the Lord. But Paul looked at the church in Rome. And he said that your faith in Jesus is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. And look what he says in the gospel of his son. 
that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests. And look what he says. If by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. See, Paul's been wanting to come to this church in Rome. He's never been there. He's heard about it. it it's testimony. It's witness. And it's, 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 it's testimony of what they are doing because of the gospel and what the difference the Lord and his faith has made in them. He's hearing about it. And he's saying right there, he says, I've longed to come to you. Look at verse 10. He says, making requests if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Look at verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. You know, if Paul came today and he was going to show up at our church to impart to us some spiritual gift, I know what most of us be thinking, man, we're going to get some deep preaching today. We're going to get some meat. Man, you... The, the immature ain't going to be able to understand this. You're going to have to be in the spirit. You're going to have to be spiritually mature. What do you think Paul would preach? Well, Paul's telling them, I'm on the way. I'm finally thinking I'm going to get to come. I've been longing to come. Look at what he says in verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brother, that I often plan to come to you. Paul said, I've been often coming. I wanted to come. I planned to come. But I was hindered till now that I thought... I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the Gentiles. So he says, I'm finally getting to come. I'm going to give you a spiritual blessing. You know what he said he's going to do? He said, with everything in me, I'm not coming to preach all this deep stuff that you might be looking for. I'm coming to preach what made you who you are, the gospel. We hear the gospel today. We get bored. Man, we want more. We already know the gospel. Do you know it? But friends, Paul said, when I get there, I'm ready with everything in me to preach to you in Rome also, a church where your testimony is going forward throughout the whole world, where everyone's talking about your faith. I'm coming to preach the gospel to you. Why? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation unto everyone who believes. Paul, when he said this and wrote this, that was not a theological theory. That was not a theological truth that he had heard in seminary or that he had been taught in Sunday school. This was a biblical reality that he had witnessed and partaken of, that he had seen the power of God's salvation that's manifested when the gospel is unashamedly proclaimed with boldness, with faith that it makes a difference because he knew Jesus made a difference in his life. He knew that Jesus could make a difference in every life. And he preached the gospel. Where is our witness? Where is our sharing of our faith? Where is our telling our lost, disturbed, and dysfunctional neighbors that Jesus died for you? Jesus rose from the grave and he lives today now and he will save you and help you. And friends, listen today. When Paul had wrote this, this is at the end of his missions, three mission trips. The first mission trip, he went to Galatia. Out of that, we got the book of Galatians. The second mission trip, 
He went to Macedonia. He tried to go back to Galatia, and the Spirit wouldn't let him, and he gave him a dream. And a man in Macedonia was saying, come and help us. We don't need to have a dream today to know that there's men in America that need us to come and help them, to preach to them the good news that God loves them, that Jesus died for him, and that he rose from the grave, and he lives today, and he can make a difference in your troubled life. And so Paul goes to Macedonia and he goes to Philippi. And that's the first place he went in Macedonia. And when he goes, there were some women down by a river who were gathering for prayer. Paul goes down there and he begins to preach in the 16th chapter of Acts. And as Paul begins to preach, the Lord opened the heart of a woman named Lydia who was a rich woman who owned a house, who owned a business. She was a seller of purple. She had a means. She had things that was valuable to be able to be used for Paul in his ministry, and God saved her. Immediately she said, if you find me worthy, come to stay in my house. Paul moved in with her, and he began to minister. You know what he did? He preached the gospel. He didn't have a church home. He didn't have facilities. He didn't have money. But he had something, I'm telling you, that changed the world, the gospel. And he was preaching it. A couple days later, he's going back down there where Lydia got saved, to that place of prayer, and there's this little slave girl. Slave girl that's demon-possessed with a demon that's given her the ability to fortune tell, a, a spirit of divination, the Bible says. And she can see that Paul is a servant of the Most High God who's telling us the plan of salvation. And she says, this is the servants of the Most High God who's proclaiming to us the salvation of God. And she would do it every day. And finally, Paul gets irritated. The Bible says he turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus, spirit, come out of her. And he says that the spirit came out of her. And I'm telling you right now, she already understood that Paul was preaching the gospel. If the spirit came out, I'm believing Jesus came in. And then all of a sudden, a ruckus begins to happen. Paul gets put in jail. Paul's in jail. He's not saying, oh, woe, it's me. Paul's in jail. Y'all know the story on, sun, on midnight. Paul and Silas, they, they praise in the Lord. Why do you think they praise in the Lord? Because people's getting saved. The gospel is changing lives. They're seeing the power of God. There's already a place to have church in Lydia's house. There's probably others that had been influenced. So while he's in there, y'all know what happens? He's praising the Lord. Them prisoners, they never heard of another prisoner in the stocks being tortured and beaten, praise the Lord, but Paul's singing hymns. And all of a sudden, an earthquake comes down, and Paul begins to speak to these people, and then the jailer, the warden, the one who had the authority that put him in the stocks, comes running down there and says, what must I do to be saved? And he got saved. And friends, when you read the book of Philippians, Paul says that I thank God that from the beginning for your fellowship with me in the gospel. And he's looking back to that first day. He says, and from the first day, it is only right for me to believe this in your heart because I have confidence that who, who began a good work in you will finish it and complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Why? Because he believed in the power of the message he preached the gospel. And friends, throughout there, you see Paul in the second missionary journey as he's going from church to church. He goes to Galatia first. We got a book there called Galatians, and it's all about the gospel. You read Philippians, and it's all about the gospel and the fellowship of the gospel. He said, I am in chains for the gospel. They, they took Paul, and he was in a prison when he wrote the book of Philippians. And he was in the prison, chained to a praetorian guard. 
But Paul said, it's actually to our advantage that I have had these things happen to me. He says, because now even the Praetorian guards are beginning to understand that my chains are in Christ. Can you imagine that Praetorian guard? He's chained to Paul. Paul said, he ain't never been chained to nobody like this little Jew. You see, he's chained to Paul, but Paul ain't chained to him. Paul's chained to Christ. That's why he said, my chains are in Christ. And he's sitting here saying, what are you in here for? You don't look like no threat to Rome. You ain't no criminal. I ain't a threat to Rome. I am not a criminal. I'm a Christian. What is that? What you chained to me for? I ain't chained to you. I ain't bound. I'm free. I ain't in this prison. I'm here, but I ain't here. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he says at the end of the letter, the brethren, especially those of Caesar's household, greet you. Paul was winning them praetorian guards to the Lord. That's the power of the gospel. Friends, everywhere Paul went, People got saved and people got upset. You'd go there, there'd be conflict, there'd be riots, there'd be tumults, but then there'd be what? Salvations? And Paul would leave and there'd be a church in the midst of that society and its chaos and its sin. Friends, listen, Paul planted churches where the Bible had never been preached before, where the gospel had never been told before, where Jesus had never been heard of before. Friends, it was not a different situation. It was as bad or worse than it is today in America. But he brought the gospel. I want you to turn with me to the end of the book of Romans. Turn with me to the 15th chapter. Look at what he tells him when he's closing. Paul says, I'm coming to you and I'm going to preach the gospel to you. And when you get to chapter 15, look at what he says. I'm in Corinth. I'm saying that ain't the verse. It's hard to preach the 15th chapter of Romans in the 15th chapter of Corinthians. But look at what he says in the 15th chapter. Paul says in verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me. Look at verse 16. That I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. That's what he'd been doing his whole ministry. That's why he wasn't able to go there. What was he doing as he ministered in the name of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles? Ministering the gospel of God. That the offering of the Gentiles may accept, be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I have reason, he says, to glory in Christ in the things which pertain to God. Why? Listen to what he says. Because everywhere I went, <laughs> everywhere I preached, I've seen the power of his gospel bear fruit in the midst of the Gentiles. Look at what he goes on and says in verse 18. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished in me, in word, in deed, to do what? To make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. What he's talking about is from the day I left Jerusalem, I left preaching the gospel. I got to Galatia, I preached the gospel. I went back to Jerusalem and I told them what God was doing, that God was saving the Gentiles. They got so tore up that they had the Jerusalem council. We discussed it and we got to realizing that he's not only saving the Jews, he's saving the Gentiles. That's how powerful the gospel is. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew, if you are a Gentile, it doesn't matter if you're black, 
If you're white, it doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're smart or if you're dumb. The gospel, my friend, will save you if you believe in it. And Paul goes back and they gave him the Jerusalem Council and he goes back out on his second missionary trip, tries to go back to Galatia. You know, that's what we do. We like to go where we think the gospel will work. He said, you don't went to Galatia. I want you to go somewhere else. Go to Macedonia. He goes to Macedonia. I kind of shared with you what he did when he preached at Philippi. He gets out of prison. They tell him, Paul, you got to get out of here. You got to go. So he goes to Thessalonica next. And you can go read this in the book of Acts. When he comes to Thessalonica, they had a synagogue. So he said, oh, I got some Jewish people here. So he went to preach at the synagogue, and he preached for three Sabbaths. That's three Sundays for us. And by the third Sunday, it says that many of the Jews, a few of the Jews, I mean, were persuaded, and many of the Greeks, the Gentiles, were persuaded to believe him. And he's seeing God move, and people are getting saved. And guess what happens? The Jews, the non-believing Jews, get mad. They start a riot. It's so fierce, it's so tumultuous that they send him out running to Athens. So he runs to Athens. And he goes to Athens, and he, he, he's there in Athens. And he's there only for a few days. But there was a church that was so much of a church that it ends up we have two letters to first and second. Thessalonians. And I want you to, to look at the rest of this with me. Look at what it says. He says in verse 19, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 20. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was announced, they shall see. And to those who have not heard, they shall understand. Now turn with me to the first chapter of First Thessalonians. And I want you to see when he gets there. He's leaving Philippi where he just planted a church where Lydia and a, a jailer, a, a warden and a slave girl are probably the nucleus of the church. And there's others that got saved, but that's who we know were, got saved. Now I want you to think about how the gospel can unite people. Think about this. Here's Lydia, a rich woman, a self-made businesswoman. She owns a house. She's got money. She has affluence. She probably fits into society well. But then you got a slave girl. She don't own nothing. She's owned. She was possessed of a demon, so she hadn't made her headway very well. But she got saved. And then you have an old blue collar. I've been in jail. Anybody ever been in jail? You ever met a prison guard that you liked I think it's a it, it, it's a recommend it, it's on the the list of qualifications that you have to be mean-spirited to be one but what happens really is they become mean-spirited because of the exposure of that hostile life and that man had been in the jails long enough that he had grown from just being a guard till he was the boss which meant he didn't have much mercy for them prisoners but he got saved and he took Paul to his house and he, the wounds that he had put on Paul, that he had had Paul beaten, the stripes on Paul's back, he ministered to them. And him and his whole household got baptized. And I want you to think about this. You talk about a group that don't fit together. <laughs> they had never shopped at the same stores. They didn't eat at the same restaurants. They didn't hang out with the same people. 
They was as uncommon and as different as all different can get, but they became the Philippian church. What has the power to do that? The gospel. What has the power to take people from every bit of culture, from every different type of language, and make us one? The gospel of Jesus. What has the, po- what has the power to take Democrats and Republicans and bring them to a place where they can meet together? The power of Jesus, the love of God, the truth of the Bible. But friends, we're not going to win them by condemning them, by telling them what they're doing wrong. We're going to win them by telling them what God did for them. And going back to the gospel, you would be going down the wrong road too had Jesus not intervened on your life, had Jesus not come along and saved you. But friends, listen, Paul's just going from town to town preaching where Jesus has never been heard, where the gospel has never been told, to a bunch of pagan Gentiles who had multiple gods, who had no Old Testament, who didn't know the law of Moses. And he's going to them preaching. And look at what he says when he gets to Thessalonians. In chapter 1, here he is again. We give thanks to God always for you, always making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brothers, your election by God. Man, he's saying, I give thanks every day because you are a church. You've been bought by the blood. You've been filled with the Spirit. You've been saved by God's grace. And I know you're there. And look at what he says in verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. Oh, man, look at this. He said, when we shared Jesus with you, it didn't just come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And friends, listen, when the gospel comes into a person's life the way God intends it to come, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with much assurance. And and look at what he says right there. He says, it didn't come by just word. It came with power and in the Holy Spirit with much assurance. And he says, and you became followers of us and the Lord having received the word in much afflictions. Friends, when the gospel takes root, people begin to follow the Lord. They begin to follow the Lord's leaders. They begin to change. They don't follow the world. The gospel can do that. We can never ever come up with a good enough Bible study on how to have a godly family to overcome a lost person's condition if he's undone and not in Christ. You can never ever marriage counsel a couple to have a healthy, God-honoring, blessed marriage if they ain't got Jesus in their heart. Friends, it starts with Jesus. We're trying to teach them how to live for Jesus when they don't even have Jesus. That's why they act the way they do. That's why they live the way they do. And we'd be just like them had we not one day met the master and he had not changed our life. But listen, not only did they follow him, he said, but they received the word in much affliction. How much affliction? A riot. Go read it in the 17th chapter of Acts. He said, so that we, you became examples. He said, when you heard the gospel, when it came to you in the power and in the Holy Spirit with the assurance that you began to follow the Lord and you, you began to follow us. 
He says that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Look at what he says in verse 8. Paul brought the word and the word went forth to them. They got saved by the gospel and the power of the gospel was activated in their life. And when Paul left, now the word is going forth from them. Friends, if the gospel ever comes in you, the gospel is going to come out of you. If you ain't got no gospel coming out of you, I don't believe the gospel might be in you. Because when all of a sudden I realized the mercy of God forgave me and the grace of God saved me and the grace of God came into my life with all my sin, with all my unworthiness. And Jesus said, come just as you are. And he met me and he took me. I couldn't be quiet about it. And I don't think nobody can. You say, that's why Paul said, I'm preaching the gospel at Rome because we got to be reminded every day that it's the gospel that Jesus died for us. And look at what he says happens here. It says, for they, in verse 9, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. My friend, no one will ever serve and be faithful and honor the true God with their life until they're saved and they turn to God from the idols that has got them from God. You know why so many people don't have any interest in God in America? They've got another God, just like these people had. And some people, it's the God of sex. Some people, it's the God of drugs. Some people, it's the God of greed, the God of materialism. But it's all ultimately the God of self. I will not let God stand over me. So they are their God. But friends, when the gospel came, these people immediately turned to God, turned from their idols and served the Lord and began to wait for his son from heaven whom he had raised from the dead, even Jesus whom he delivers us from the wrath of come. You know, when I began to look at that, and I read that last part. You know, I hear all the stuff on Fox. I watch it. I'm stupid. <laughs> and it, it, it frustrates me. And then I'll go look at CNN and, and it just puzzles me how they could believe some of that. And I'm going to shut up. I promise I wouldn't do that. But guys, if all you listen to is what's out there, that's all you listen to. It's going to be real hard to have the peace of God within your heart that can make you be able to say no matter what's going on around you, it is well in my soul. That regardless of what's happening here, because of what's coming from there, I'm going to be all right. Because I'm going to tell you, I ain't expecting a life-changing experience come November in my personal life in my house. I ain't expecting November to affect this church at all. But I am expecting that one day the King of Kings is coming back and the Lord of Lords is returning and he's going to fix it all. He's going to make it all the way it's supposed to be and that he's coming back. That's where your hope must be, but it's hard to have your hope there when you're not focusing on what God's done for you, the gospel. Because look at what he also says. He's not just coming back, but when he comes, wrath is coming with him. And to wait for his son, verse 10, from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's why if you know Jesus, how can you not share the gospel with these lost Americans all around us? How can you not be burdened for the 
unredeemed and the unsaved and the, the ones who don't know what's going on. Friends, you know, the term gospel occurs frequently in the New Testament in both the noun verb and the verb forms. In the noun, it just literally means good news. In the verb form, it means to proclaim the good news. And when you look at the New Testament, 75 times the noun form appears and 56 times the verb form appears. Friends, if it's in there that much, you ought to know what the gospel is and you ought to know what it means to proclaim it if you're a Christian. When we preach the gospel, we understand that not everybody is going to become a Christian. But we must also understand if we don't preach the gospel, nobody is going to become a Christian. And no one's going to be saved. And we would all agree that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one's coming to the Father but through me. Being good, being a good American citizen, helping people, none of that's going to matter. You see, guys, what matters is what has the gospel done in your life and has it changed you and saved you and has the power of God made you different? Look what he says when you get to chapter 2, verse 1. For you know yourselves, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Look what he says. He says, for you know that when we came to you and preached you the gospel, it was not for nothing, it was not in vain. Look at what he says in verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Guys, we got to get out of our comfortable, oh, no, they talked bad about me. They made fun of me at work. Oh, I'm being persecuted. We don't know what persecution is. When's the last time you've been in a riot where they turned the city upside down because you preached Jesus? It may happen. But even if it does happen, you've got to have the boldness to preach the gospel. In the midst of all that rejection, in the midst of all that rebellion, in the midst of all of that against the gospel, though people got saved. A church was formed and planted. Friends, every American is not going to applaud you for standing up for Jesus, but there are some who will. Every American is not going to get saved if we share the gospel, but there are some who will. And friends, I'm going to tell you right now, that the only hope is for America to be saved because the reason America acts the way she acts, the reason it keeps doing the things she does, and it's going in the direction it's going because it's turned from God a long time ago as a nation. Your neighbor who never has anything to do with God, he can't help it because he don't know God. Your neighbor who has no desire for the things of God, the Word of God, he's just like you was before you met Jesus. I'll never forget that lady right there. She's the godless woman I know. If I need praying, I ain't asking you. I'm asking her. My sister came. We was both lost. She came to spend Easter with us. My sister was religious. She was lost too. But she had kids. I'm taking my kids to Easter service. Go ahead. We don't go to that. Stephanie, Brother Nick's wife. I know y'all look at all their, they, they are wonderful servants of the Lord now, ain't they? <laughs> she goes to Easter service at the church down the road. Fills out a visitation card, puts our name and our address on it. Man, about Tuesday, tack, 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 tack. we from Highland Baptist Church, Mr. Cooper. There was a visit. That wasn't me. That was my sister. Oh, okay. Stephanie's your sister. Well, who's that? That's my wife. Well, we just come and we'd like to talk to you. We ain't interested. No, sir, I don't want none. No, 
I'm being polite. Diane's looking in the back. Who are they? When I finally got them late and they get back in the car, she said, they don't need to be coming out here telling us this stuff. Did you not say that? Friends, they're everywhere. But the same people who right now not be want to hear it, who ain't open, God has a way of changing their hearts. He has a way of preparing the fertile soil. What you got to do is look around. A lot of times it's the person that you least think is going to be ready. That'll be ready. But we don't know who they are. So what do we do? We spread the seed. We sow the word. We preach a little here. We water a little there. We, 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 we ministering here and loving there. And what did Paul tell Corinthian church? He said, me and Apollos were nothing but ministers. He said, that minister to you, we sowed the word. We watered, but God gave it increase. How can God give increase if we ain't planting? How can God give an increase to a church that's not watering, that's not nurturing, that's not fertilizing, that's not loving, that's not telling people that Jesus died for you? And on the third day, he rose again, and now he lives for you. That will help them. That will do more than, would you come to church and hear our preacher? Man, you ought to hear our music. Man, you ought to see our building. You ought to see our new chairs. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. If the comfortable chairs are taken away, if the music and the program that you like so much was taken away and all we had was a piano and a singer, if the preacher was even worse than me, would you still come? Would Jesus be enough? If all you had to offer him was not kids' church and children's ministry and nursery and all you had to give them was the gospel, would that be enough to join that church? No, it would not. And that's why the church is not making a difference in America. All Paul had was a dead Savior who rose from the grave, who died for him. And when Paul went to Corinth, this is what Paul told the church at Corinth. You can turn there with me if you want. We're about to get wound down. When Paul got to Corinth, he said, God didn't send me here to baptize, but to preach the gospel. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come with wisdom. I didn't come with a lot of things. All I came with, the message I had was that Christ crucified the cross. And look at what he says when you get to chapter 2 in the book of Corinthians. I'll find it in a minute. I don't know many Baptists that would drive to a revival to hear this preacher. But look how Paul describes himself in verse 2, chapter 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except one thing, Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, 
but in the power of God. You know, the sad thing is some of you around here talk more about me and Jonathan than you do about Jesus. You go tell the people that's dying and going to hell more about us and what we got here than you do about Jesus. You go and brag about what we got going on and what we have accomplished more about what Jesus accomplished. Friends, the greatest thing ever been accomplished for us was God loved the world so much he sent his only begotten son. And you can never get over it. You can never say it too much that whosoever would believe him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And friends, the message that they need to hear is not about these deep things. We need, a, we need Beth Moore. We need all this. No, we need Jesus. And I'm not against Beth Moore. Don't think that for a minute. There's a place for it. But all those Bible studies, all that in-depth stuff, all that how to raise a godly family, how to have a, 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 a church that grows, all that don't mean nothing if you ain't preaching the gospel. If you ain't telling people how to be saved, it's a waste of your time. And it'll bear no fruit for our efforts. God's looking for soul-winning churches, my friend, because America needs to be saved. And when they get saved, they'll change. Very few saved people are racist. And if they are, God ain't going to leave them that way long. And if you try to live immoral and try to live like the rest of the world, the Holy Spirit's going to torment you. He's going to make you wish you can't go back. But friends, listen. Paul reminded the church in Corinth when you get to the 15th chapter, what he preached, it wasn't that complicated. I had so much more to say. Time went by so quick. But just look what he preached. The gospel's not that complicated. This is what Paul said saved them. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Paul said, moreover, brethren, that's brothers and sisters in Christ, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you now stand, by which also you are saved. And if you hold fast, if you hold to it, that word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain for nothing. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. Friends, that's the power of God. Yeah, there's more to it. And the more you share and the more you practice it, the more you begin to be a soul winner, the better you get. Friends, just this week I was struggling. And I'm praying, Lord, help me to, to know what to preach. I want to, you know, I don't want to just not even mention America. And you've blessed us with 246 years. And certainly I'm thankful to be an American. And I don't want to dishonor my country. But Lord, I want to preach your word. I want to preach Something makes a difference in a person's life. Something that'll save somebody. And I was at Cowboy Church. and that's, I'm telling you, you can never get too much church. There ain't enough church here, I'm telling you. You can never get enough gospel. You can never get enough preaching. I go down there because people get saved. That preacher preaches the gospel. He reminds me of why I'm here and why I exist. But I'm down there and Big Wade, he's singing. He's got his daughter with him. And I can't remember her name, but this sister can sing. She's anointed. She breaks out in, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And man, I'm just sitting there and God put his finger on me. That ever happened to you? And I mean, instantly, man, I was like, man, tears was welling up. And I've heard this song 
Only God knows how many times, but I never heard this verse. And it says, though Satan shall buffet and trials, they shall come. And they will. Let this blessed assurance control. I've never seen that control till that day. Because if something's not controlling you, you're not going to have peace. <laughs> you're not going to be well. So what is it that gives us this, it is well in my soul. This verse tells you it all. It's the gospel. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. It's the only thing that could buy our freedom. It's the only thing that could make it well in your soul in a troubled world that doesn't know the peace of God. And Jesus, my friend, regarded our helpless estate. We were helpless to fix our home, to fix our family, to fix our own life. We were helpless to make it better. And Jesus regarded us. He looked at us. He felt responsible. He took action for us. And he shed his own blood. Not a goat's blood. Not a bull ox blood. Not your neighbor's blood. He shed his blood. For you and for me. And I don't know about you, if you ever get to the cross, nothing's ever the same again. If you ever get under the blood and the blood gets on you and it cleanses you and God comes into your life, friends, you will not have to fight the same no more because God will fight with you and for you. And friends, we need to get back to sharing the good news that Jesus died for you. I'm going to put this up, and I want you to ask you this question. Paul said, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation. If that happened to us, how can we be the same? If the gospel saved you, how can you say, I don't know the gospel, I don't know how to share it? Because if you don't know the gospel good enough to know what it is, how did it save you? And I'm not here saying you got to be a theologian, so don't get worried. But I am here to tell you this. If you are saved, you know that there was a time when you realized I'm a sinner and you got a conviction for that sin. And you realize that there is accountability. There is, I'm going to answer for it. And you understood, you got to believe in God, that Jesus from the good news came. And he lived a sinless life, and he was the son of God, the perfect lamb. He lived among us, and what did we do? We put him on the cross. We crucified him. We crucified him, but Jesus, he didn't die just because we crucified him. We crucified him, but the father sacrificed him. And Jesus willingly went as a willing sacrifice. He wasn't a victim. He wasn't a martyr. He was a willing sacrifice. For us and God sent his son and his son was willing to come and they hung him on that cross and they tortured him and punished him and crucified him and he died for our sins and we buried him in a tomb 
And we thought we was through with him. The religious people said, ah, he's gone. The Gentile Roman Jews, the people outside of Israel said, we got rid of this troublemaker. We've buried him. He's gone. But God, the Father, raised him from the dead. And they ain't got rid of him since. Can I get an amen? Jesus is alive. He'll save your lost child. He'll save your backslidden lost neighbor. He'll save you, my friend, if you'll trust him. What do I have to trust? It's not hard to believe. Jesus died for your sins, according to the scriptures. Man buried him, but on the third day, God raised him. And he lives today. He's ascended back to the Father. And if you'll trust him and put your hope in his sacrifice on the cross, God will save you. I don't have no way time to explain it. I'm just telling you, that's the gospel. Today, there's someone in this room who's not saved. You're religious. You're a good person. But you cannot be religious enough. You can't be good enough. Or Jesus wouldn't have had to come die. The Father wouldn't have had to give his only son. You see, our estate is helpless. But thank God that Jesus regarded our helpless estate and shed his own blood for our soul. Friends, we need to be told that more often. And we need to go tell it more often. And America needs to hear it desperately because that is, I believe, the hope of every man and woman. What does it matter in the end if we have everything this world has to offer and we lose our soul? Friends, I'm going to ask us to stand. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to invite you today, if you've never truly give your heart to Jesus, not playing around, not Baptist church, not coming to Brother Mark, you're coming to Jesus, you're coming to Christ, to give your heart to Jesus. But I want to challenge everybody who has given their heart to Jesus. How many of you has got a neighbor, a loved one that you know don't know Christ? I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment before you leave this room. To whatever person, the first one comes to your mind that the Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance. Man, that's my buddy. I work with him every day. He's so lost. Oh, that's my neighbor down the road. There's no way they know you. They need you, Jesus. Quit looking at all what's wrong with them. And go, go tell them what God's done for them. And friends, some of you got kids in school. Whoever that person is that God brings to your remembrance, go to them this week. Pray. Go in the love of God. And say, I come to tell you today, Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead. He lives today and he'll save you. He saved me. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. If you died right now, where would you go? How hard is that? They're going to look down at their feet. They're going to shuffle. And say, if you want to go with me, would you believe in Jesus? God made it that easy, but we just don't do it. And if they're real, they'll do it. We just don't give them the opportunity much anymore. We go on running to and fro, too busy to share the greatest news ever given, that God loved us that much that he demonstrated his own love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He'll save them. And I'm going to ask you to commit to say your faith this week. In the coming weeks, we're going to practice on Wednesday night how to share your faith. We're fixing to get a track. I ain't got permission from the deacons yet, but I think after preaching this sermon, they'll probably say, okay. I ain't, I'm playing. But we're going to get us some tracks put out here. Don't take all of them, put them in your Bible and lose them. But take one, if you take one a week, 
And you say, Lord, I ain't coming back next Sunday unless I give this to the lost person. And I tell them Jesus loves them. And you give one next week and you do it again. If we'll build that and make it a habit, and we'll start sharing the gospel, God will start saving people around here. He'll bless us. See, we got to be givers of the gospel, not only receivers. And so right now, I'm asking you to make that first commitment. Lord, make me a soul winner. Give me a burden for the lost. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I haven't shared my faith. Lord, I know it's a sin. Lord, forgive me and make me a soul winner. I'm asking us to do that right now. Would you do that? Father in heaven, I preach what you showed me. I believe it with all my heart. And I know these people believe it. Help us to believe it enough to obey it and do it. Lord, we can't do it without your Holy Spirit's help. You have to give us a heart. Lord, I lost fellow Americans are undone without Jesus. Help us, Lord. Give us a burden for our country and for those who are without Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come, I'm going to invite you to come.